Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And today we'll be looking back at the Ravens' 31-30 loss to the Green Bay Packers, a Ravens team that was makeshift in a lot of ways on offense and especially on defense, nearly took down Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. It again comes down to another two-point conversion decision by uh, John Harbaugh, which we will discuss. But let's first get to Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley gets the start. Lamar Jackson, the ankle injury he suffered against Cleveland was not healed. So Tyler Huntley gets the start. And quite frankly, on a national stage, he shined. Uh, most of the country was able to watch this game. And Tyler Huntley did something that Lamar Jackson has actually never done. He threw two touchdown passes and he ran for two touchdowns. And he had the Ravens again in the game at the very end. Daniel Wilcox, we've talked about Tyler Huntley before. You've told me before. You see him as a starting caliber player in this league. What did you see from him in this one? Um, I saw exactly what we see from Lamar week in and week out. You know, the, the guy is really dynamic. He's a dynamic player. Um, he made great decisions um, when, the, when the game was on the line. He started the game off really, really poised and confident. And what I like is that they didn't try to, you know, sometimes you got a quarterback that could come in and just throw a deep ball the very first play of the game, and it's perfect, unscribed, kind of like the Michael Vick, Deshaun Jackson play back in the day, the Philly, Philly connection, right? You know, but what they did was they treated him like the way I play basketball. I play basketball. Yeah, I can shoot threes, but I'm not going to come out like Steph Curry the first quarter. You know, so I'm going to come out with a layup here and then get me a little short mid-range. And then I feel like they kind of did the same thing with Tyler Huntley, allowed him to get into some sort of rhythm, you know, get the ball to Mark Andrews early, you know, small little dink and dive plays and allow these guys to catch the ball and run. You got guys that are really, really great with the ball in their hands, you know, and I was really, really impressed to kind of see the ball just kind of, you know, go all over the field this week. But but Huntley was I mean, he, he was exactly what I think the Ravens needed this week. You know, just really poised, calm, kept them in the game the entire game, you know, playing in Baltimore in front of a phenomenal um, crowd. And he just he put on a show. I felt like it was a really good game. It was exciting to watch. And he orchestrated the offense, I thought, extremely well. It's a good point, because when I look at that team, the way they started that game, the word that comes to mind is crisp. This team looked more crisp on offense to start the game than it has in probably at least six or seven weeks. The Ravens had not scored a first quarter touchdown in seven games, and they've only had one touchdown on their opening possession all season, and that was against the Los Angeles Chargers. Tyler Huntley moved them right down the field on their opening drive, and they didn't score, and we'll get to that in a minute. But then later in the first quarter, he led them on another drive that did lead to the touchdown, but to Andrews, and then another long scoring drive. They had three extended drives to start the game, which is something they have not been able to do lately. Now let's go back to that opening drive. They get down inside the five-yard line, fourth and goal at the three, and John Harbaugh goes for it. They fail to score. Huntley is kind of flush from the pocket and run out of bounds. Uh, a lot of people complained later and said, boy, you got to take the field goal there to put points on the board. I will say right at the time, I was in favor of going for it because I just don't think you're going to beat Aaron Rodgers with 20-yard field goals. I think you're going to have to score touchdowns to beat him. But I will say, my issue with that was they had third and goal at the three, and they tried to pass play to Latavius Murray, I believe it was, and now that didn't work, and now it's fourth and goal at the three. If you know that it's four-down territory and that you're going for it, 
I'd rather pound that ball on third and three and see if you can score or get it down to the one and then maybe pound it again. I didn't like the play call on third and goal if you know you're going for it on fourth and goal. But you tell me, would you have gone for it on fourth down in that situation, uh, scoreless early in the game, or would you have taken the field goal? Um, that's a great question, Bo. I mean, dang, man, you put me in, in a tough spot every single week, I feel, with these questions. Um, I, I, these are the questions John Harbaugh faces every yeah, week. Yeah, I know. I, I, think, I, think, I think you made the right decision. At the end of the day, you, you believe in the guys that you work with every single day. And this is not like college football or high school football where you don't really trust your players. These are grown men, you know, so your coach is sometimes is, you know, you got players on the team the same age as your coach, you know, so you got a, another man telling another man that he can or can't do something, right? You know, so when it comes down to it, you want to put the trust in your team your team, and allow your guys to go out and be, be the best version of themselves they could possibly be. That's what they get paid to do. When With three, I mean, you got three yards to, to get a touchdown. In the red zone, everything gets confined and everything gets so tight. It's going to be basically be us saying that we're better than you. And I believe in that situation, you pound the ball. If you got your horses, if you got all your horses, you pound the ball, but with 15, 16 guys out on offense and your O-line is not who your O-line normally is. And you know, your running backs, not who your running backs normally are. Your fullbacks are not who your fullbacks normally, you know, it's, it's one of those things, man, where you put the ball in the best player on the field hand and, 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 you know, Huntley, Lamar Jackson, those are the guys, you know, so you put it in their hands and, and let them be the dictators of how this thing turns out. When you call a pass play with those guys, it's just like calling a running play too. So, you, you know, if, if it's open, they take the run and they score. So I'm not mad at him for calling, you know, for going forward on fourth and third in the first quarter. I do feel like, you know, wholeheartedly you got to take the points wherever the points come. And it is like this game, it's a game of inches. You know, like I said last week, you know, the last, the last two games we lost with, with a total of four points. And you, you get hit, you got another game you lose with one point, right? You know, so now you got only lost three games in a row, no more than five. It's not even a touchdown, you know? So if you get a chance to get a touchdown in the first quarter against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, Packers that sets the tone. And plus, you know how this momentum thing goes, man. If you score right there, you gain the momentum early in the game, and then it's a downhill effect from that point on until they stop that ball from rolling. And I, I felt like it was a gutsy call, a good call, and I'm not mad at him for calling it. And I'm not mad, you know, that we didn't get it. I mean, I'm a little frustrated that we didn't get it. But at the end of the day, Bo, you have to do what you feel like is going to put your team in the best position to win. This is one of those games where every single decision you make you know, hunts you, you know, it, it hunts you, you know, Green Bay is a really good team, phenomenal team, electric team, and they coming into Baltimore and they coming into our home turf and you always want to leave home knowing that you protected, the, you know, protected the house. Right. And um, I, I think you take the field goal in this situation and I'm not going to disagree with Harbaugh very often, but I think, I think in my situation, if it's me, if I'm the head coach on this one, I think I go ahead and take the three points. And I'm always attacking. I'm always aggressive. I'm not changing anything like that, you know, but I think you take the field goal, get your three, and then you come back the next possession, score the touchdown with Mark Andrews. Now you're up 10. And then that's, that's more of a statement than not coming away with nothing, you know, right then. And, and you got to get a flow for the game. And, and we started this game off hot. So I'm not even mad at him for calling the decision because when you start off as hot as we did, you know, you're like, hey, man, let's go and get this seven. You know, let's go and get this quick seven. 
And I think Baltimore did exactly what I, what me and you talked about last week, you know, spreading the, spreading the um, defense out so they can't bunch all up in there and then, you know, blitz you as much as everybody else have been because none of those guys that would normally come on the blitz have to cover the guys in the slot. So we did a great job of spreading them out the entire freaking game. And that allowed Huntley to be able to have some time to be able to throw the ball and get the ball out of his hands quick. Well, it's a good point. I mean, it's possible that the play calling would have been different if they had Patrick Ricard, right? They don't have Patrick Ricard uh, as a lead blocker on any of those. If you're going to be down near the goal line and try to pound the ball. And of course, they don't have Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins either. So that probably influences things. I will also say this. John Harbaugh will often go for it late, uh, late, you know, in the deep red zone, thinking they can score. And his theory is often, even if we don't score, we've got them backed up. And if we get a stop, we're going to get a short field. And in point of fact, that's what happened. They did get a stop. They got the ball back near midfield, and then they went down and scored that first touchdown. So, so that's how he operates. Yeah, and, and that's his theory. And that, again, shows some trust in this defense. And this, again, was a defense that was really shorthanded this game. What more can we say about Mark Andrews? We've talked about him before. He makes a spectacular catch for the first touchdown. He catches the second touchdown. He carried this team in the first half. He finished with 136 receiving yards. I mean, of course, there was the play at the end of the game we'll discuss, but what more can we say about the guy? He's developing into like an elite player, like straight up. Like he can he could be a face of a franchise, I think, the way he's playing as of late. Like I, I just saw the first catch that he caught that Huntley threw right across the middle. And I watched how as soon as he, the ball touched his hands, he turned into a, a, a running back. And it's, you know, it's phenomenal, man, to see somebody so dialed in and so tuned in to, you know, his whereabouts and, and his abilities. And he took off, I think, scampered for another 20 yards on that first catch. To me, he's playing at an elite level and a very, very high level right now. And he's at the right place at the right time, 99% of the time. And he has hands like glue. You know, you throw it to him, it's almost automatic. It's like a layup in basketball. You know, you, you he's going to find a way to come down with it. And, and you you always want to go to the guys that, that make you look good as a quarterback. You know, so the quarterbacks are finding him because they know that he's the real deal. And um, I love I love seeing him play. Like, I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing him play. Remember spending the time in Baltimore and remember talking to him quite a bit, you know, telling him that he's, you know, he got something special. And, and one thing that I noticed about him early on in his career was that he was already beyond years as far as knowledge of the game, right? You know, the, the, the high football IQ, the understanding leverage. leverage. <clears throat> and when I say understanding leverage, as a tight end, we're working, you know, a lot of times we're working from the inside out of a defender. And in order to get that defender to move, we have to push him at different angles. You know, so if I'm if I'm inside and he's standing outside of me, I got to attack his outside shoulder to get him to widening out. I'm not going outside. I know it out the whole time I'm going inside of him, but I'm pushing his outside shoulder to get him to widen out to give me room to slip him inside. He does a phenomenal job of attacking angles and attacking shoulders and getting DBs and linebackers to move so that he can make the way that he needs to make for himself to be able to give the quarterback that lane to throw the ball to. And he just does a phenomenal job of doing that. That was the biggest difference to me between him and um, Jaden Hurts. Remember Jaden Hurts, the kid we had? And I thought Jaden was a better athlete than Mark at the time. But I thought Mark 
was years like he was a veteran as far as being a rookie tight end as far as mental the mental part of the game understanding leverage understanding how to sit down in zone how to run away versus man and understanding the coverages like he's literally out there being a quarterback at tight end position and that that's what allows him to to continue to show up week in and week out and you you see that from the greats you see that from your tony gonzalez that's why he's been so phenomenal his entire career right um, and I, I love it, man. I love watching them play. Shannon Sharps was the same type of guy. Just you watch film after film after film of them, you know, pushing guys, moving guys, making guys sit still. If you run right at a guy, he can't move. Now he freezes, you know. So now you got him right where you want him. You get up on his toes and then you make a quick move. Now you slip right behind him. Then you stack him, get right back on top. And then now you got the, the seam route, you know, which is, you know, he's been so famous for. And he's he's doing a great job, man. I'm super excited about watching him the rest of this year. We just got to get some W's behind him again. You point out, I mean, a lot of people remember, some don't, that it was actually Hayden Hurst was the first Ravens tight end picked in that draft, and Mark Andrews was taken second. They ended up trading Hayden Hurst away, and in that trade ultimately became uh, J.K. Dobbins. So it's worked out for the Ravens for sure. The other thing about Mark Andrews, uh, when they drafted him, I think a lot of people, including the Ravens, frankly, viewed him more, as more of a Dennis Pitta-type tight end who would be kind of a big slot receiver who wasn't going to be a lot of end of the line of scrimmage blocking, but I saw something recently where he's grading out in pro football focus or one of these metric sites as one of the best run blocking tight ends in the league. And that says something about another way his game has developed because run blocking was not his strength when he got here, but he has become quite a good run blocker. That says, that says a lot about him too, Bo, because I mean, run blocking is, is something that you just have to really want to do. I mean, anybody could run block. You know, and it doesn't take a genius to learn how to do it. You have to you have to perfect your technique and you have to have a great pad level. You have to get your hands on those guys before they get their hands on you and then just understand the leverage game. But you have to want to do it like passionately as a receiving tight end. You have to want to block. You want you got to want to hold this guy up, to let your running back get around the edge, give your quarterback a chance to, you know, to get the ball to the other guys on the team. So that's him, you know, really, really, really passionately wanting to be a better run block. That's why you're seeing those numbers show up. He's ultra competitive and he just wants to be the best he can be at all phases. And it, it's showing up on the field. All right. This Ravens team hit by the covid outbreak again. It happened last year. It happened. It's happening all over the league, really. When the Ravens got ready to play this Packers game, they had early in the week, they had four players on the uh, COVID list. And then by the time the game started, or excuse me, they had three, including safety Chuck Clark. By the time the game came around, they had also lost two of their defensive backs, Chris Westry and Jimmy Smith, and they lost wide receiver Sammy Watkins, and they've now lost linebacker Justin Houston. Now, with the new COVID protocols in place, it's possible that some of these players can be back to play this week, but it's very uncertain and, and it's happening all over the league. But I'd like to talk about this Packers game and how this defense was able to hold it together. Cause I want to point out to you something, Aaron Rodgers. this is who he was facing on the other side for the Ravens. Geno stone at safety is making his first start and was wearing the green dot headset helmet because Chuck Clark was not available. Kevon Seymour, a former practice squad defensive back who got thrown into the mix and was basically played nearly every snap. Robert Jackson, a practice squad cornerback who was called up for just this game. Tony Jefferson hasn't been with the team for like three years, hadn't played a snap or two all season. He's on the field. Anthony Levine, 
special teams co-cap, they call him, right? He's a, he's a de facto special teams captain, does a lot of work for this team, but hardly ever plays defense. And he was on the field for 10, 15, 20 snaps. And then Tavon Young got hurt, too, in the middle of the game. So with all, with all these defensive backs down, with Chuck Clark, or with Deshaun Elliott, or Chuck Clark on the COVID list, rather, Deshaun Elliott hurt, Marlon Humphrey hurt, Marcus Peters hurt, Jimmy Smith on the COVID list, Chris Westry on the COVID list. This is the group that the Ravens put on the field against Aaron Rodgers, and they were one point from winning the game. It struck me as a remarkably gritty effort from this group. Uh, how are they able to at least keep themselves in the game? This is when you pat your coaches on the back. You know, you 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 say, "Hey, man, great job on coming up with a great game plan to try to slow this guy down." And um, you you watch the guys, you know, step up, you know, week in and week out. Like I told you, there's no no true backups in this league. If you think you're a backup in this league, then you you're not going to be in this league long. You know, you have to prepare every week, week in and week out, like you're the starter because you never know what may happen. I remember being in the locker room before the game, especially early in my career. And you was a bubble guy and bubble guy means you're the guy that's on the bubble. You're the guy that you know may not play, may play, but you're not hundred percent sure. But they literally come in the locker room before the game and give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know, and they'll have somebody walk through a lot of times, just like the player personnel guy, um, the, the player development guy, it was OJ Brigance when I played in Baltimore and OJ would come in the locker room, you know, he would look you in your eyes and you, when you see OJ came in, you kind of wanted to look at him, but you really didn't want to look at him. And then he would give you the thumbs up or the thumbs thumbs down. And early in my career, that thumb downs was very, very, it was, it was, it was very apparent, like week in and week out for me. You know, I saw a thumbs down an awful lot. You know, then I started to get the thumbs up from time to time. And when I got the thumbs up, my heart would start racing a hundred miles per hour because, oh my God, I'm already, I'm already I I open back up my playbook real quick, just to go over it one more time, look back at my, you know, because you just never know, right? And you know, when you get the thumbs down, you're the guy on the sideline dressed out in a jogging suit. And then you get the thumbs up, you're the guy on the sideline dressed out in the actual uniform, you get a chance to go play. To see the, the amount of depth that the Ravens has put on the field this year. And I told you, um, you know, Levine would be a part of this game. He had to be a part of this game. And you had to lean on guys like him to be great. You know, to get Jefferson back was freaking phenomenal. He was a huge part of the leadership role when I was there in Baltimore, you know, doing my internship. He was a huge part of that leadership. He was a starter here and he was a heck of a playmaker and a, and a ball player for us. Um, to be able to go get somebody like him back that's sitting at home, it's, it's crazy. Like I said, uh, the Baltimore Ravens player personnel department is phenomenal. He knows the defense. He knows the scheme. He comes in, fits right in, and you don't miss a beat. And um, those guys play phenomenal, I think, all game long. They gave up some big plays in the passing game, you know, and that's, it's Aaron Rodgers. When you watch Aaron Rodgers play, watch how he flips the ball out of his hand so quick. You know, it's 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 amazing, man. Like you, you can see the talent, the raw, just the pure talent in him as a player. You know, not just the type of you know thought processor he is, but just the pure talent of arm talent that he has to be able to flip the ball out as quick as he does and get it out of his hand when he's barely looking at a guy um, and get it to him extremely quick and accurate. You know, and you know, so it's just. He did a phenomenal job, you know, trying to pick apart our defense all, all game long. And I think they did a phenomenal job of trying to hold him to just being good instead of being great against us. John Harbaugh said uh, the day after the game that, you know, th this is how you find players. You're, you're in a position where you need you need guys to step up and you see how they perform on the on, on the stage of the actual game, because it's one thing to do it in practice. And it's another thing to do it, as they say, when the lights come on. But and he said repeatedly what you just said is that we do not have anyone on our team that we don't think can play in this league. Um, we think everyone on our team down to the last practice squad guy is capable of playing in this league or they wouldn't be here. 
So they really have to lean on them. And, and, and it's likely they'll have to lean on some of those players again with this growing COVID list and with all the injuries. All right, Daniel, here we go again for the third straight week. We have to talk about a two-point conversion decision by John Harbaugh. We, br- we brought it up briefly. Here they come again. They've, they're down uh, in the last minute of the game. Tyler Huntley sprints in for a touchdown. They're down one. The place is going wild. There's 42 seconds left. And John Harbaugh keeps the offense on the field to try to go ahead. Tyler Huntley rolls to his right, and a pass for Mark Andrews is a little behind him. It's tipped away, and the Ravens lose by one. So they lost by one in Pittsburgh when a two-point conversion didn't work. They lost by two in Cleveland when an earlier two-point conversion didn't work. They lost by one against Green Bay when a two-point conversion didn't work. They're now two for eight on two-point conversions this year. But John Harbaugh doesn't shy away from doing it. Mark Andrews said after the game was absolutely the right decision. He thinks second guessers are wrong, but let me ask you, here we go again for the third straight week. Would you have done it? And um, what did you think of the play? And what did you think of the play call? Absolutely. I would have done it. Um, And and this, like I I told you, I think I told you this earlier in our broadcast, it was like the third or fourth show that we did that on offense, man, it's like synchronized swimming, right? Every little thing has to go right. And Mark Andrews was open across the middle early um, on that play. And if you, if Tyler Huntley didn't get flushed out of the pocket as quick as he did, and I think he had a little bit more time, if he could have just been a little bit more patient and just sat back there, I don't think he would have had to, to get flushed as fast as he did. If he would have just waited a little bit and waited for the play to develop a little bit more, I think he would have threw a strike to the middle of the um, end zone for Mark Andrews for a quick touchdown. You mean Holly Marquise Brown? You're talking about on the two point um, play? No, I think it was um it was Mark Andrews in the middle. He he tried to throw it to Mark Andrews late, right? But if he'd have caught Mark Andrews right when he came out of the break, it the play is designed for him to go in and push to the, the safety and to try to cross his face to make the safety think he's crossing his face, put his foot in the ground, and then reverse back out. And he ended up trying to throw it. He he got flushed out of the pocket, so he missed the pivot part where he came back and he was open for probably about a split second and a half, you know, but when he, he, once he got flushed and he had to bow out because he jumped out of the pocket fast, he got pushed up field a little bit more by the defender. And then that allowed him to lose the passing lane to Mark Andrews and he couldn't get it to him, you know? So he, he tried to play it out and wait, wait, wait. And, and then he threw it late. And, and by that time it was already covered again, you know? So, I mean, it's, 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 it's such a, uh, this game is so finicky, man. Like just one lineman, you know, getting pushed to the right or not going to the left when he's blocking a defender puts that guy in the passing lane where he can't see Mark Andrews. So he flushes out of the pocket to try to get a better angle. And as soon as he flushes out of the pocket, he gets chased by a defender. And now it, it compromises his his scramble. You know, and it's just it's such a hard game, man. It's such a tough game. It's it's a game of inches in so many different ways. And all these little minute details that you don't pay attention to, that you don't see, you just see the end product and you're like, dang. You know, but at, he really had a moment and an opportunity to do something great. And I think were you saying like like Hollywood was opening that back corner back there? If you watch the if you watch that two point play again, uh, Marquise Brown kind of comes open in the back middle of the end zone, and and I don't know what uh, traffic in front of Huntley might have impeded his vision of him. He said after the game he never saw him, but he was wide open, and it's just a it was just a chance. You know, I think he was keyed on Andrews, and and like you said, there was probably a moment there where it was to be had, and. These windows close quickly in the NFL, and and but if it were there, it wasn't there at the end. But he definitely had Marquise Brown in the in the end zone and just didn't see him. So unfortunate, man, because you got so many. Like I said, the, the receiving core is so special. I think they can do some great things. You got to figure out a way 
to get these guys more involved, you know, week in and week out, you know, but, you know, Prochet caught a ball. And I thought that was really, really good, you know, to see him get the ball in his hands. And I saw Bateman caught one or two. And um, that's important, man. So you got you just got to find a way to distribute the ball a little bit better to these receivers that we have. And, you know, Mark Andrews is doing such a good job in the middle of the field that he's he requires guys to, you know, to pay attention to him. So that should make it a little bit easier for those outside guys with one-on-one matchups. Yeah, Brown ended up with just 43 receiving yards. He did catch, I think, eight. uh, It was 10 balls, actually, but seven of them, I think, were on that second-to-last drive where it was two yards here, three yards there. He didn't have a catch of longer than seven yards. He just caught a couple of underneath balls down the stretch of the game. Bateman's another guy that he vanished again with just one catch, and I keep waiting for more and more from him. And Devin Duvernay actually left with a little bit of an ankle injury, so we'll watch that over the course of the week. All right, look, I give John Harbaugh a lot of credit. This team, on paper, was totally overmatched by this Packers team. But the thing about John Harbaugh is, and and it's one reason why so many people outside the organization think he's a good coach, is he just he consistently gets the most out of his players. And he has these players believing. Every time he has these players believing. It doesn't always work, but I think he has their trust. I think they love that he shows this aggressiveness to go for two. He said after the game or the next day that, he was up all night replaying that two-point decision. Um, he understands half the people disagree with it, and he's fine with the criticism of it, but it is who he is, and he's got this team playing well with, with a, an amazing kind of patchwork of players. Uh, so I give him a lot of credit for having this team ready to play against a really good Green Bay team and nearly pulling off what would have been a really, really big upset. All right, this is the, the Ravens now fall to eight and six, and looming will be the biggest game of the year for them. Of course, every game seems to be the next next one is the biggest one, but this is the biggest one. They have a Cincinnati team in Cincinnati. It's really a must-win game for them if they want to win the division uh, because the Bengals have already beaten the Ravens once this year. We will be back later this week with an episode dedicated exactly to this Bengals game. We'll take a closer look at the first meeting between the teams, a 41-17 Bengals win, and we'll see what the Ravens have to do to beat the Bengals this time around. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network.